I mean, maybe I was insane beforehand and it just, you know, it was all the same. But truthfully, that was one of my biggest concerns because before spending 70 days alone um, and there was no follow boat, there was no helicopter. So it was legitimately alone. Um, the longest I had spent alone was probably a weekend, maybe if it was snowy and you got snowed in, couldn't drive. And to go from two, two days to two and a half months was quite a jump. So for me, one of the tools, mental tools that I use is meditation. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is the youngest person to ever row solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She's the first person to have swum the entire length of the Allegheny River. Also, the first person, and as far as we can tell, only person to have run nonstop the 138 miles across Maine, which she did in 33 hours. You can find her on Instagram at Katie Spots. That's Spots with a Z. Welcome to the show, Katie Spots. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, so the viewers don't know, we were talking about viewers, listeners, whichever platform you're on. Um, if you want to view youtube.com slash soulpre, you can view it on there. Um, don't know, as we were talking about before, we are only uh, two degrees of separation apart, even though I didn't know that when my assistant booked you. So uh, shout out to Ira, my assistant, for knowing uh, cool people before I knew that I knew cool people. <laughs> Our mutual friend, Kevin, um, he had recommended you come on. It was like really talking you up. And then I looked on the calendar <laughs> and you were already on there. So Ira was like way ahead of her job or psychic, or I don't know what she did, but yeah. it was this really nice, like synchronous moment. Yep, for sure. Um, so I have to ask a little bit about um, what I'll imagine is like sea madness. How, how do you not go just insane with all the time by yourself, just rowing yeah. across the Atlantic? I mean, maybe I was insane beforehand and it just, you know, it was all the same. But truthfully, that was one of my biggest concerns because before spending 70 days alone um, and there was no follow boat, there was no helicopter. So it was legitimately alone. Um, the longest I had spent alone was probably a weekend, maybe if it was snowy and you got snowed in, couldn't drive. And to go from two, two days to two and a half months was quite a jump. So for me, one of the tools, mental tools that I use is meditation. Um, so I did some extensive 10, 10 day retreats, um, where there was no reading, no writing, no speaking. Although it was a group environment, you couldn't even have eye contact because that's a form of communication. So, I mean, it may seem like, okay, meditating and doing this feat are very different, but I think whatever you experience in meditation is the same thing you experience while doing hard things. And it's intense emotions. I was witnessing int intense emotions 
questions and having to, uh, I need to do anything. So I'm um, sure that um, my head was on straight for as much as it, as I could possibly be. But truthfully, if I had gone with a friend, a teammate, I probably wouldn't have wanted that because it brings out the worst of you because I was sleep deprived. I was um, cranky. I was fatigued. And so I think a lot of people who do these types of events as teammates don't necessarily end as best friends. And so I'm glad for those reasons that I didn't have to worry about another person adding to that mix. Yeah. And so for you, the listener, and maybe you, Katie, you did freeze there for a second in part of your conversation, so part of your story. So we missed a little bit of it, but we got part of it as well. Um, so uh, thinking about the use of meditation, like I, I would agree with you, even though I've not done any like intensive meditation retreats, it's, it, I mean, it seems like it's in part like a mental skill, right? Just yes. being able to live with yourself yes. because we all, we all spend so much time either loosely or not so loosely connected to everybody else that we can kind of bounce our own thoughts off of other people or at least have that stimulation versus, you know, I, I think when people meditate for the first time, they don't always realize beforehand, like how much chatter is going on in your brain, like all the time. I don't know, regain control of that a little bit and not just kind of hop on and and go wherever the mind and have a little bit more um, to redirect it. And so uh, that was, yeah, that was definitely the biggest tool for me. Um, and I mean, I think what was also important is that I, I had a lot of friends, I had good relationships. And so even though I was alone, I never necessarily felt alone because I knew no matter how many miles away, I still had those relationships. And so having strong relationships really helped to ease my mind. So I wasn't feeling that distance, even though there, there definitely was some distance. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, was it better? Like, are they just in your mind? Or are you bringing like photos along or? Oh yeah. So I did, this was because it was a fundraiser for clean water. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did have if you donated $30, that was enough to help one person gain access to clean water. So you could get your picture on the boat. And so I had pictures all in the cabin. And then my mom, she actually wrote a hundred letters. So I anticipated the journey would take between 70 and a hundred days. And so every day I had a kind of like a letter from home that I would be able to open. And I didn't have internet, but I did have an ability to do emails. So I was still in touch with some people and, you know, trying to do that as much as I could. I mean, most of the time I was just rowing, but I was able to, you know, do that before bed or something like that. So, yeah. So you had like, I guess with logistically speaking, um, dedicated rowing hours during the day. And then from there, you're just like, I'm just, you just, chilling the rest of the day? Like what, what does a typical day look like on that adventure? Yeah. So um, the, the reason why I didn't think it took much like motivation is because there's nothing else you can possibly do on a rowboat than row. Like if I wasn't rowing, I'd be staring at a wall. I'd rather be rowing. So I would be rowing 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, I would sleep 
uh, yeah, maybe six to eight hours. The sleeping was the hardest part, either because of the waves just waking me up or flying fish um, hitting the cabin. But I would row maybe two hours, take a, a snack break. And um, the only thing other, and at night I would also sometimes row if the moon was bright enough because I could see, you You actually did need to see where you put your oar in because if you don't time it just right, you could bruise your knees or break your ribs because it's very, you have to, yeah, you just kind of have to read the waves. And so a lot of rowing, a lot of eating, not much sleeping and a little bit of snorkeling to get the barnacles off the side of the boat. Um, cooking meals took a little bit of time and then blogging, but um, yeah, it, I, I did spend one of the 70 days just uh, as a mental health day where I watched Harry Potter movies on my iPod touch and ate chocolate bars. But aside from that, it was just, yeah, rowing all day and um, just, uh, yeah, eat, sleep, row, repeat. I guess we have to back up, and I think you touched on this a little bit. Um, we talked about this a little beforehand um the motivation maybe to do this or do any of these things like what you know is it I, I guess i'll ask the uh egotistical question is it a matter of like wanting to be like katie spots i'm awesome like look at me do all these things or like what's the motivation behind all the adventures yeah so my journey in endurance started by avoiding it um, I was a senior in high school. I needed to take one more gym class to get my high school diploma. And as a kid, I definitely did team sports, basically anything with a ball and a court and a field. I tried basketball, um, baseball, soccer, tennis. And so I was physically there, but mentally I just I mean, as a kid, if I was playing baseball, I would be picking dandelions. I, I just didn't. I was happy to be there with my friends. I was happy to be running around, but I didn't really have that competitiveness. And if you aren't that way by middle school and high school, you're just not even playing anymore. You're just a bench warmer. So I was like, oh, I'm just not athletic. So when I had to take this gym class, I, I had a, a goal, which was I'm going to try to find the easiest class and put the least amount of effort in. And that was, uh, when I saw walk, run, jog, I was like, oh, I see the word walk. I know I could do that. And so I, that's what I did. I just walked and put in that bare minimum effort. And then I just got so bored. I mean, going circle after circle around this lap, the, the you know, eight, eight times to do a mile, it was so boring. And so that's the, the time where I was like, you know, if I, if I really did try, could I run one mile? And, and that's, something I never had done before. And um, so I set that target, had no idea what I was doing. My approach was to go as fast as possible just to get it over with. And because I didn't know I would make it eight laps. So I, I was just like, you know, by by half the halfway mark, I was just barely holding on. And, you know, my lungs were burning, didn't know how to pace myself. But that was kind of a really awakening moment for me because I never thought I could do it and I did. So then I was like, well, what are all the other things? It was a reframing moment. What are all the other things that I'm telling myself that I can't do that maybe in fact I can. And with no pressure of letting down your coach or your teammates, it was just this really, I have nothing to lose. So um, 
yeah, I think for me, not having the, that external pressure was really liberating. And there, and so it started with one mile and I celebrated that one mile as if I ran a marathon. I mean, that was the high. I was, you know, the rocky moment, like, what? I, I didn't know you, the leg, I mean, it wasn't fast, but it was still, you know, some people say just one mile and as to describe one mile, but just one mile is just enough for you to reframe what is possible. And you could do team sports and you win, you lose, you tie. You could do endurance and you uh, discover what is humanly possible. What is the limit? And to me, I'm very curious. And so you will see that a lot of events I do once and then I'm done because I, I want to know what's possible. And I want to know, um, and I mean, doing the row was so liberating as well, because a lot of people do a lot of things and they have opinions and I, I don't really, I want pure experiences and adventure is so pure because sometimes you don't need to ask people how to do it. You could just explore and, and learn and see it as, a, a, you know, no preconceived notions, no stories about what I should be feeling like. And so I love that kind of guinea pig testing it out. And so um, it, it, it started as that, you know, and once I found out about the water crisis, it became more than just my own personal curiosity, my own personal, you know, goals and, 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 um, you know, yeah. And so water, because water, I mean, because there are, uh, almost 800 million people without clean water that don't need to be without clean water, that we do have the solutions that there are possibilities and um, knowing the potential is there. I mean, when you see a problem that has a solution and it's has that big of an effect. So I think it, it definitely helped to be able to do things that um, did, I mean, yeah, I mean, did bring in attention for, to be re redirected for the cause. And so because of ad adventures, because of these events, um, right now it's about 45,000 people have gained access to clean water, uh, across 15 countries and 95 projects. So, um, I, I definitely see the value of doing things off the beaten path, but, um, yeah, my personal thing is, I, I don't think if, if you were purely doing it for ego and look at me, I really don't think I would have made it across. I mean, that is not deep enough you that's not enough to make you want to row a million oar strokes that's not enough to keep running even though your toenails are falling off I mean I I just I love challenges and I've been that way since I was a kid and and just uh yeah through that gym class realized that there was a lot more in me than I had ever imagined obviously there's a lot to unpack there I, I don't know how often I say that with guests um <laughs> So, so the listeners probably like you always say that that's like your catchphrase um just thinking about like i mean the focus on clean water like you know like i mentioned that's kind of a, a initiative for one of my new products as well um it, it, it made sense for me thematically but like where like where does that come from from you i, I mean there's so many different like nonprofits and, and initiatives that we could focus on yeah why do yeah. you land there 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, that to your point, there are so many causes that water supports. If you care about women empowerment, go for water. If you care about health, you could spend lots of money on medicines for issues that could be resolved if they simply have clean water to drink. And so if you care about health, if you care about education, kids aren't going to school, you could build a fancy school, but if they're fetching water all day, that doesn't matter. You need clean water for them to be able to even be in school. And so really water is the first step out of poverty. Water, uh, every $1 invested in water brings $12 back to the local economy. Um, I just think, you know, when I first heard about and learned about the water cri crisis, aside from air, what, what, what else do we need? I mean, it is the most basic and fundamental need. And so I just couldn't imagine, you know, what, what life would be without it. And I think it's a huge justice issue. I mean, we do have enough water to help everyone. We do have the means to do it. And there was, um, Matt Damon is very involved with water as well. And in a documentary, he recently said something about like, imagine right now we have the cure for all childhood cancers. And yet in 50 years, kids are still dying of this cancer. And that's exactly what's happening with water, um, that we do have a, a, a way to solve it. And some of these solutions are cheap, they're effective, they're, I mean, rainwater harvesting is, it's a very simple thing thing, but it has such a huge impact. And so, um, the, you know, we, we don't agree on everything in, in this world, but everyone can agree that we should all be able to drink clean water. We should all be able to drink water where we don't worry. Will this be the water that, that I, you know, I, I, that could kill me. I mean, that's, that's how pretty stark this issue is. And so, um, I just, yeah, it, it makes me, it first made me angry and now it makes me hopeful and excited because there are ways to, to, to solve it. And I mean, I do think there is a parallel between the cause and the events because, you know, the water crisis is this big, massive number, this big issue. And these challenges are these big, massive numbers of miles. And truthfully, the way you approach the water crisis and the way you approach these challenges is very similar. You just take it one step at a time, one person at a time. And so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I do care about a lot of other causes, but that one is the one that makes me, you know, the most, um, it drives me, it definitely drives me. And, um, it's very cool. I mean, when I first started getting into endurance events, there really wasn't um, as clear of a, I'm doing this, now donate that. And now it's so mainstream that, you know, marathons, you could sign up and join a team. And so I think it's very cool how you can do something you love and also help help a cause that, that um, you know, that means something to you. So I, I, I just love how this is kind of the way and, and people are more used to that kind of model. So I have to ask, and uh, for you, the listener, and Katie knows this because I told her before, like, I put on my, like, cynical marketer hat where, you know, people are concerned about me. What's in it for me? And, you know, that's why, like, you know, as mentioned with the, the new sports drink that we're doing, we're donating, but, like, 
it's kind of a footnote because I don't like philosophically, I feel like most people don't really care. It's just something that I want to do. So it's like kind of my pet project and I'm tying it on. So uh, the question is for you, I guess, am I wrong if I'm not wrong or somewhere in between? How do we get people to care? Because I mean, we like, it's so easy to take it for granted. I mean, I, I can, I can walk 10 feet away to the bathroom and turn on water on tap. You know what I mean? And I've got, I've got a fridge that filters water and then an additional pitcher that filters it again. Like I have a ridiculous, you know, globally speaking, a ridiculous setup to get very clean water in my house with super ease. And I don't think about it, right? I don't think about it from day to day. So like, um, I'm hoping you can prove me wrong. And just how, how do we get people to even like acknowledge and then want to take action towards, you know, bringing yeah. about a solution since we have the solutions. Yeah. So no one like about, yeah, like in the last 10 years, charity has come a long way. And um, there almost were like, you know, you know, the commercials with Sarah McLaughlin and, yeah. and, and like, no one likes seeing that. And yeah. guilt is not the most powerful um, emotion. I mean, it's love. And so I never want to make anyone feel guilty. Your guilt does not help anyone get clean water. So this is definitely not a matter of feeling guilt or shame. And I also believe that everyone is, is, has a call on their life. Everyone has a purpose and some people will be drawn towards other causes and other um, issues. And, and that's great because it's all hands on deck for whatever you want to do. So I guess for me, my message is, you know, maybe you don't know about water now that you do, now that you know, you can do something. Now, you know, that $50 can help one person get clean water and, and, I mean, I think it's innate in, in us to want to make a difference. And so it's, it's an invitation to, if you want to make a, a huge difference, you can. And also if there's another cause that you care about, it's really more about making actions and taking steps to do what you feel called to do. I mean, even with like ultra marathons and all these events, I'm not trying, the world doesn't need more people running ultra marathons. It just needs people to uh, live the, the call on their lives, live out their, the passions and live out the lives that, that they were meant to. So um, it, I, I, I think of it more as an invitation to be a part of something bigger. And if that's not where you feel called, that would be um, a disservice for me to try to push someone to do something that's not really what they're about. And so um, finding out what, what matters to you and then pursuing it is more important than being like, you know, water is the most important, everything else doesn't matter. And there's a lot of other causes that matter too, so. I think that was a very, um, not political answer is not quite right, but just. <laughs> I wasn't trying that was like legit like, no 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 I know but it's very like very like very measured very well thought out I guess maybe it's like it's not political like you're not like dodging the question but it is very like you know it's obviously from the heart but just like find the I, thing that you, you care about right yeah but well, I guess that's, that's the question is like how do I find the thing that I care what like if I just care about me do I just go like 
Well, like, I mean, how, how many people in, in, in culturally are we focused on like the, the, the hedonic treadmill of like, I need more stuff. I need a bigger house. I need like, and people focus on that and believe that to be the purpose. And, and that I think is, I think it's okay to have, to like reward yourself for working hard. But I also think if that's purely the focus, you probably end up empty at the end of the day. Yeah. So, so I guess that's my, maybe my question is like, how do we show people the light if we want to take like a holier than thou approach, but just get them to think about the idea that there may be a purpose that maybe brings them more fulfillment or makes a bigger oh. impact or uh, an well, ability to yeah, join something yes. greater than themselves. I think that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, one, one other thing I will say before I answer that is like some people do, you know, I said, everyone agrees about clean water, but some people also say to me like, well, why aren't you helping here? Why aren't you helping? And I, there are projects that have been supported in the Navajo nation. I have been involved with that. And so my, 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 my answer to that is always, well, why don't you, you know? So I think, um, yeah. So, so I just want to put that out there because I, I, I think that people forget their own power in these these um, with these issues or with with what they're capable of. But um, yeah, so you were asking about how do you get people to care? transforming from yeah. a place of entirely ego fulfillment to maybe at least maybe it's ninety percent ego fulfillment and ten percent like I'll call it altruism, even if I don't truly believe altruism really exists, but just like. How, how do we shift the balance a little bit? Okay, so check out this TED talk about how, uh, I mean, there is legit science and legit research about how giving back is something that selfishly, like, I don't think you can give back without feeling that. And if you keep chasing that more and more and more, you know what you're going to end up, you're going to end up get wanting more and more and more. I mean, that's the end result. You're going to continue the habit of wanting more and realizing that nothing is enough. And so, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is like, okay, we'll check in with how is that working for you to want more and more and more, because I don't think we were meant for that. And that's why there will be feelings of um, dissatisfaction. There will be feelings of, because it was never meant to be all about yourself. I think we're here to to help and to serve and to, um, you know, give back. And so I, I, uh, I think your own personal experiences can teach you about that. If you're not feeling what, what it feels, uh, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm just like, so how's that working for you? If it's not working, well, think about that then. That's yeah. pretty much it. Right. Uh, because, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's pretty much it. I mean, everyone has to arrive to these wherever they're meant to be in their own way. And so I feel like experience can sometimes be your greatest teacher and just reflecting on those experiences. But yeah, in high school, I had to volunteer. It was a mandatory thing. And that helped me get out of my head a little bit. So even just you know, volunteering a few times can kind of awaken that, I think. Mm -hmm. Just the exposure. Yeah. That's some, that's what it's just, this is somewhat related, but a little tangential. Um, where I, I wonder about 
sometimes I think about motivation and I ask us about motivation. Um, and like, I'm very self-motivated and I used to naively think that I had enough motivation for everybody and I could like inject that in people. And I don't think that's actually the case. I think it has to come inwardly from somewhere, but that like you mentioned, just like taking a small step, not, not going, okay, let's be like Katie and row across the Atlantic, but just being like, maybe I go and volunteer for like Habitat for Humanity for a day, or I go to a soup kitchen or, or maybe you've got, I know there are like churches around here that have, um, gosh, what are they called? Like, they're like the little libraries, but for food, oh. where you can take and leave food. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's like, grab a couple of cans at the grocery store and then leave them in the box. Like you don't even, it take 10 minutes, you know, like there's a small step, right? Sure. Not trying to take on an entire 70 day trek uh, all at once and then figuring out from there where it goes. And I think, you know, I wish I could figure out how to start that motivation for people, whatever it is. Um, but I maybe mean, that's, maybe that's the thing is like, if they already have that motivation, just taking the smallest, smallest step forward. Yeah. I mean, I, it's almost like, I think people are motivated. They're just something covering it. Like there's just something blocking it. There's something luring us away from it. So I, I sometimes, you know, I do speak and I, I don't think I'm giving anyone any motivation. I'm just helping them move away the things that are preventing them from be, doing the things that they already want to do. So you can't, you know, you can't give someone that, but you can help them move the things out of the way so that they can actually do something with that. So, um, yeah. I do want to ask you about um, what I think is like insider knowledge. So I, this last weekend, <laughs> we talked about beforehand, before we got recording, uh, last, this last weekend, I spent time with our mutual friend, Kevin, um, and he showed me a photo, I think of your leg, which like, was like bruised, <laughs> bruised yeah. and pretty gnarly looking. I think it was, do you think I'm pretty? That picture. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It might've might been that one. He was, he was just like, look at Kenny's leg. I, I think it's cool. And so, so number one, what happened? And then <laughs> where do you go from there? I mean, it seems like you're probably not in any condition to go run, you know, across another state at the moment. So I thought it would be a good idea to rollerblade across Florida from all across the Florida Keys from Key Largo to Key West. I thought that would be so rad. I mean, it's, it's pretty flat, you know, who wouldn't want to go across 44 islands and I've never now, been who, in a bed. Who wouldn't want to roll, <laughs> rollerblade across 44 islands? Okay. Who, who would, who would think maybe I shouldn't do this? Well, I mean, I did practice, I, I rollerbladed across Connecticut and I, you know, I did some, some test drives and, mm. um, I, uh, it was for a fundraiser, a skate for water for a community in Haiti. And so, um, my friend and I went down in February and, uh, we anticipated it would be a four day journey doing like an ultra marathon every day. And, uh, day three, I just, I ate it. And uh, I was going down a bridge. I mean, it is flat, but when you're going up and down bridges, going down a bridge, and then kind of the trail veered, 
and then there was a patch of rocks right from one part of the trail to the next because it was over 100 miles of trail of course there would be parts that would be interrupted with construction that kind of thing so i i was going too fast to know to be able to slow down in that moment to you know yeah to be able to walk over it and so i tried to catch my own fall instead did kind of like the splits kind of movement tore my ACL, tore my MCL, sprained my wrist, went to the ER and they did the x-rays and they said, uh, you know, nothing was broken. And so pain is tolerated. And so we finished, uh, finished the next day. So <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, uh, the good news is once it's already broken, you can't break it. So it was already, I mean, there was, there really wasn't much I, I, yeah, it was, it was broken. So I, even going further, it, it might've, yeah, it was going to aggravate it. So I did have a call and, you know, my, my, I have uh, nurses in my life and of course, no, everyone's going to be like, no, you shouldn't do that. But the question is, will this make this worse? Will it cause permanent injury? What mm -hmm. are the consequences? And I mean, yeah, it was, it was, uh, when I told people being on this podcast, I was like, I don't know if I'm the smartest athlete out there. I mean, you <laughs> rollerblading with a torn ACL and MCL, probably not the smartest idea, but I mean, truthfully, that is my, my biggest struggle as doing these endurance challenges is knowing when to stop rather mm -hmm. than I don't need someone being like, go oh, do it. And I mean, Kevin and I did another adventure race across America and he yeah. joined the team because I had a broken pelvis, but I was still on a hand bike. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes me want to even try harder because it's like, Ooh, this is like something else to overcome. And I, I definitely had a strategy, right? Like I was, um, I had to use my friend as my break because I couldn't aggressively lift my toes to be able to break. And mm -hmm. so I was taking much shorter strides. I was staying on the road instead of the trail because I could see more. I was um, staying on the, the, the line in the road where the, the, it was the smoothest, like the road. The paint. Yeah, the paint, yeah. skating on that paint. And um, that, was, that was it. So I had that injury in uh, February. I had surgery last week. And um, I mean, I've, I can I, most, I'm very, it's very, I, it's been great. I mean, I, I can walk, I could, the six week mark is supposed to be when you go up and down stairs, I can already do that. I'm not on pain medicine. I, I mean, yeah, it's, I feel like I'm surprised by how fast the recovery, I mean, it's still going to take nine months to fully recover and mm -hmm. it's still going to take a lot of time, but I'm, it's not really limiting me as much as, I mean, I, and, and I've switched to weights. So after I had the injury, I pretty much went from predominantly cardio to weights. And so, um, I, last month I did like a 10 minute plank challenge and tried that out. And I'm, I used to do pull-ups more and, uh, for like coast guard training stuff. And so now I'm getting back into pull-ups and, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I'm being, I have the opportunity to focus on areas that I wouldn't, um, normally and, you know, flexibility, you can always work on that without necessarily, uh, putting much strain and stress. And 
I do probably want to do triathlon again in the future. So this is a good excuse to get back onto the bike and swimming more since I've mainly just been doing ultra marathons for the last two years now. Mm -hmm. So silver lining all over the place. I mean, it's (laughs) It's not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, you're talking about you didn't know how smart you were. Um, <laughs> I, you know, that's where like sometimes I think about you're. I, I would say you to a stronger degree than me, but sometimes I think about just like like people like you are just built differently. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. Again, maybe this is just the cynicism in me. I don't know that you can take average Joe. And make them go, yeah. Well, I I tore my ACL and MCL, but I mean, I can still skate. So I I just decided to finish it up. Like I think I think most people, number one, probably wouldn't have started to begin with, <laughs> but then also would have been like, no, I think I think God is telling me to stop now. Like this, it's it's enough. And and you're like, no, I I think it's fine. Like is it good? Is it going to be permanently damaged? No. Like I'll just do it anyway. So I I just sometimes I I think there's something, you know, your parents gave you genetically that just not everybody has something inside or who knows, maybe, uh, you know, that first mile was like, like flipped a a switch in your genome or something and everything just has progressed from there. I have no idea. Uh, It's in speculation on my part entirely. I mean, I, I definitely haven't figured that out. I, I, I do have two older brothers. And so I think, uh, you know, I was more of a tomboy and always having to catch up with them being, you know, my oldest was four years older. And so when you're a kid trying to keep up with someone four years older and uh, so maybe that, you know, helped help me be more like, you know, trying to keep up kind of mentality, but um, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, we can be driven by fears, right? And um, some people are afraid of failure. And I'm not as afraid of failure. I'm afraid of regret. I'm afraid, Mm. like, that was the thing. If I didn't do the last day, I'd be afraid to be regretful. And I, it would have, I would have always thought about, well, what if I tried? What if I did this? What if I did that? And so my fear of failure is much stronger or my fear of regret is much stronger than my fear of failure. I would rather deal with that. I would, I mean, the, the biggest fear for me is being an 80 year old woman looking back at my life saying, what if, if only what, and, and just that is such a heavy burden. And I, I just don't do well with that kind of thinking because I mean, we don't really have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Like we only have this. And so I just, you know, I just want to use it and see what we can do with it you know i think you and i could probably powwow about death as motivation another time but we're, we're running <laughs> we're running because that's a big motivator for me yeah. and we don't have time to get into it now unfortunately so uh before we run out of time i want to ask you the question i'm asking everybody this season i'm hoping you have a good answer because you've certainly had some big ones uh my season question this year is how do you celebrate your wins I mean, I guess before I used to kind of jump from one to the other and what next, what next? And it's exciting to get a win because it kind of, it kind of keeps that ball rolling. So, um, I mean, 
I think it's just like reflecting on it and, um, you know, seeing how far you've come right now. My win is my win of the day is bending my knee 110 degrees. And so, uh, just knowing that if you give that little bet every day, it's going to, it's going to add up. So, uh, I think it's just mindfulness, just like really, um, taking that moment to appreciate where you're at rather than continuing to think, okay, what's, what's ahead. So, yeah. It's a good answer. Um, Katie, if people want to get in touch, see what you're up to, see what your next project is, donate any of that kind of stuff. Where, where can they find you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram, Katie spots and Facebook. Hello, Katie spots. And then if you'd be interested in donating and supporting cause, it's just katiespots.com. And there's a donate now button. Awesome. Katie, thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you.